How Did a Mule Save a Fish? That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. On Saturday, Barry, a slow-moving hurricane, came ashore in Louisiana. While the storm's winds were strong, officials were warning mostly about flooding. The heavy rains are connected to man-made climate change. Time reports that warmer waters in the Gulf generate increased evaporation that provides more rain for a storm to dump when it makes landfall. NOAA said that surface temperatures in the Gulf were among the highest in recent decades. Those temperatures also increase storm strength because warmer air holds more water. One meteorologist said that the atmosphere is like a sponge, and because there is now a bigger sponge, it holds more moisture. In addition, the previous 12 months have been the wettest since record-keeping began 125 years ago. The Mississippi River is still transporting all the water that inundated the Midwest earlier this year. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards said in a tweet that Barry would be the first time a hurricane hit when rivers were still rising. As of early July 14th, CNN was reporting that over 70% of Barry's moisture was still sitting offshore and could make its way inland over the next 36 hours. July 20th is the 50th anniversary of the first manned lunar landing, and although the moon has gone decades without visitors, now several countries are making travel plans, and one reason may be water. India is set to launch an unmanned craft this week to land on the lunar south pole, an area that's thought to contain ice in deep craters, according to the Washington Post. The water could be used by astronauts for drinking. It could also be broken down into oxygen for breathing and hydrogen for rocket propellant for future missions into space. Scientific American reports that NASA's chief scientist currently estimates that there may be 1 to 200 million tons of ice in the moon's dark craters, and one of the questions is how it got there and whether it did so all at once or might be still going on today. The planned Indian mission to the moon has received some criticism, as many residents in that country are suffering from a severe water crisis. The shipping industry has been criticized for using heavy fuel oil, a cheap form of petroleum that produces immense exhaust. Shipping is responsible for about 3% of global carbon emissions each year. There are already some ships that are powered by electricity rather than burning oil, but most of those are ferries traveling short distances to ports where they can recharge. Now, a hybrid cruise ship is making its way to the Arctic. The first of its kind, the boat can travel much greater distances by burning natural gas and generating electricity, similar to how a Prius uses gasoline and stores power in batteries. As CBC reports, it would be very difficult to move most of the shipping industry to 100% electric because it would require massive battery packs in addition to expensive upgrades to the power grid at ports. However, the industry is seeing some movement to other options, including using giant kites and sails to harvest wind power at sea. Permafrost is soil that has been frozen for long periods, and as the climate warms, it's melting, releasing long-stored carbon into the atmosphere. Now there's another consequence of the thawing. The Guardian reports that prospectors are digging up tusks of ancient woolly mammoths that are exposed as the permafrost in northern Russia 
melts. The Chinese market for the mammoth ivory from Russia is rapacious, adding up to about fifty million dollars each year. It's estimated that there are five hundred thousand tons of mammoth fossils in the ground, with only a small fraction having been unearthed so far. Some Russian officials reject the call to regulate the harvesting of ivory, saying it could harm local peoples who should have the right to collect the tusks and live off the proceeds. Others are promoting Russian mammoth ivory as an alternative. To poaching African elephants, and finally, in 2016, a lightning strike caused a massive wildfire in Colorado's Rocky Mountains. The Hayden Fire torched 16,000 acres, and as the flames spread and the people evacuated, staff from Colorado Parks and Wildlife rushed in. That's because a very rare fish, the Hayden Creek cutthroat trout, lived there. The fish contained the same genetic markers as specimens collected by early explorers in the late 1800s. The remains of which are housed at the Smithsonian. The crew, with the help of firefighters, was able to retrieve about 200 trout that day, and most of the fish were taken to a hatchery. Surveys after the fire showed that not a single trout had survived in the creek. Meanwhile, Colorado Parks and Wildlife were able to nurse the rescued fish back to health, and they spawned, saving the species. But it wasn't good enough to keep them in tanks, and last week. Forty-five hundred of the rare trout were transported up a steep six-mile trail to the upper reaches of Hayden Creek by mule. The mules were outfitted with special saddlebags of pressurized steel canisters that pumped oxygen into the water to keep the fish cozy. Four mules and dozens of volunteers endured hot sun and drenching rains to deposit the four-inch trout at various points in the creek. Josh Nering, a biologist with the agency, said in a news release that they're looking to introduce the Hayden trout in other streams in Colorado because spreading them across the region makes them less vulnerable to extinction from future fire or flood. The release is similar to a program being carried out to help the greenback cutthroat, the state fish of Colorado. That was also nearly extinct, but is now making a comeback. This week in water is supported by the American Waterworks Association. Discuss solutions for protecting and managing aging infrastructure at WIC19. Learn more at awwa.org/waterinfrastructure.